This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Today is Sunday, December 30th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, and episode 295, featuring Celtics team reporter and analyst Mark D'Amico, is brought to you by Blue Chew. Visit BlueChew.com, get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code CLNS. Just pay $5 shipping. Well, we're here, the new year rapidly approaching, and for many reasons, the Celtics probably looking forward to 2019 to put much of at least the latter part of 2018 behind them. Adam Kaufman, this is Celtics Beat, and let's jump right in, because, you know, I've done, well, in my life, thousands of interviews, and on the Celtics, certainly hundreds, if not approaching thousands, and for the first time, believe it or not, I find it hard to believe, Mark D'Amico, reporter and analyst for the Celtics team site, joining me here. I I can't believe that we... We haven't chatted before, at least, you know, on the air, but long overdue. Well, you know what, Adam? As long as it's happening now, that's all that really matters, right? <laughs> There you go. Well, I'm, gl- <laughs> I'm glad we're doing it. And uh, it's a treat, too, because you're up close and personal with the players, the coaches, members of the front office on a daily basis. And so I think that inside perspective is something that people are, are really going to be curious about because you see a lot of the things that many in the traditional media don't, traveling with them and that sort of thing. And, you know, many people believe that Christmas is kind of that point in the NBA schedule where teams should have a pretty clear idea of who they are, what they're capable of. But even Danny Ainge has recently acknowledged he doesn't know what this group is. And we saw that overtime went over the Sixers Christmas Day. It was exciting. The explosion from Kyrie Irving, who's been all NBA level the last dozen or so games. That was followed by the blowout loss in Houston, where James Harden showed he's still league MVP. This, real quick, before I get your take, Mark, is what Kyrie said after that loss in Houston to start the road trip. Yeah, we have the talent, but it's not enough in this league, man. It's not enough. Um, you know, for us, it's just about making sure that we're doing the little things. You know, I was talking to our big, you know, our, a couple of our guys, a couple of our veterans, and just making sure that we, we stay on our young guys as well as us, having the responsibility of doing the little things, boxing out, you know, just limiting those guys to one shots per possession. They're a great team, but you limit them to one shot, those long rebounds, you know, those leak outs, those, you know, little things that they get to allow them to score 120-plus points. You know, you take away some of those things, the game becomes a lot harder for them, and the game got hard for them, but... It's just maintaining that and being able to sustain it throughout the whole game. I suggest you subscribe to the CLNS YouTube page. You can always find great Celtics pregame, postgame sound, locker room sound, whatever, from all over the place. But let's get to it, Mark. 35 games in, who are they? I don't think anyone knows, honestly. I think we've seen we've seen the good, we've seen the bad, we've seen the ugly. Uh, and I don't think we're going to know who this team really is until probably, I would say, a little bit after the All-Star break. Um, I, I think a big component in that and, you know, that's kind of been the elephant in the room for the whole season is Gordon Hayward. Mm. And, you know, no no one in their right mind would expect Gordon Hayward to be back to even close to where he was prior to the injury at this point. I mean, he, he went a, a year plus without playing basketball at a high level. 
he he was rehabbing for let's say ninety five percent of the time before uh, training camp came around in September. Um, in, in terms of you know being able to play full fledged basketball, he's only two or three months removed from that from from not being able to play full fledged basketball five on five. So you know it's going to take a long time for him to get back. Do I think he's going to get back to where he was before the injury? Yes. At some point, that's going to happen. Do I know if it's going to happen this year? No, I don't. But his struggles have certainly been an issue. And then, you know, the same thing has been the case with Terry Rozier. He's kind of had a little bit of a roller coaster season this season and being going back to the bench after last season's outstanding postseason play. Uh, but, but those two areas, and then as well as Jalen Brown with some inconsistencies, we don't know who the Celtics are right now because of that. We know who that starting unit is. Uh, we know who Al Horford, who Kyrie Irving, uh, who Marcus Smart. We know who all of these guys are, but those other three guys are integral parts of this team. And if they're not playing well, the team's not going to play well. If they're playing great, the team is going to be great. And that's what we've seen this season, right? This, this team has beaten a ton of the best teams in the NBA so far even despite the struggles early on with the 10 and 10 record to start the season. Um, but that, that, that's really the issue in my mind in, in figuring out who this team is, you know, right now it's a team that can beat anyone and it's a team that can lose to anyone. And I don't think that's going to be the team that we see once the season comes to an end, because I do expect you know, and this is based upon, you know, a, a large portion of games that these three guys have played in their careers I don't expect those three to still struggle uh, come the end of February, going into March for the stretch run of the season. And as a result of that, I think that's when the Celtics are really going to be playing great basketball uh, and, and not be a team that anyone wants to play in the playoffs. So on Hayward, Jamal Crawford had this tweet that you actually retweeted saying mm-hmm. uh, he wrote, you could see Hayward still finding his way rhythm, not only the injury he had to adjust with. This is like a whole new team for him from Utah. He'll come up big in the playoffs, though. So you appreciate the confidence and, and obviously the support that he's been getting around the league. I don't have to tell you that people are worried. They're being very critical. I have long said, going back to the summer, that I'm giving him till February to really evaluate where Hayward is. But regardless of of where he winds up by season's end, you look at it right now. Raw numbers, which do not tell the whole story. He's averaging 10 points in 27 minutes. He's had some flashes defensively at other times. Looks a little bit lost. The rebounds are probably a little bit better than most people would have expected. Away from the microphones, away from the media, just sort of behind the scenes, does he seem frustrated? Is the confidence unwavering? Where is he right now? I I don't see any frustration behind the scenes. Um, I I think you can certainly see it in front of the scenes. You know, on the court, you know, when the cameras are on, you, you can certainly see that during games. You know, there's times where he can't get quite as much lift as he needs to uh, around the basket, there's times where you know he tries to finish a layup or something that he would normally make uh, prior to the injury, and he misses, and you can see the frustration on his face. But behind the scenes, I honestly have not seen a drop of that. Uh, he, he's been, I think, the same guy that he he's always been, joking around with the training staff, with his teammates, has a smile on his face. That's the guy that I've seen uh, 24-7 off the court, behind the scenes, on the buses, uh, on the planes, uh, since really since the season began, uh, I think he's happy to be back. You know, think about the place where he's at now. Even if he is struggling, 
he's playing basketball right now, right? And I think that's the perspective that he has in his mind uh, as compared to a, a year ago um, today. You know, think about where he was a year ago today, right? He, he was in a bad place, you mm-hmm. know, and he didn't know if he was ever going to play again. Uh, and now here he is, you know, playing in the NBA, playing for the Celtics, and this team has a real shot to make a run if they can all get it all together. I think he knows that, uh, and I think he knows – you know, I really think that the injury gave him some perspective that, you know, things take time and you can't rush into anything and, and assume that things are going to, you know, an issue is going to be rectified in the short term. You've got to give it time uh, to take care of itself. And that happened with his injury. And I think now uh, it, it's also got to happen with his comeback. And I think that's why he's been able to, you know, kind of keep the frustrations on the court and not really take them into his off the court life. You acknowledge Jalen Brown. I mean, he's been a disappointment to this point. He's certainly been inconsistent, so you kind of had to laugh when Marv Albert accidentally called him Jalen Green the other night in that uh, Rockets game. You know, I've had so many discussions on this show about where he's at mentally, but I refuse to believe that he just forgot how to shoot because he's frustrated with his fit on the team, let's say. I mean, he's shooting 41%, 27% from three, again, 65% from the line, which I realize is career consistent for him, but there was the perceived improvement toward the end of last year. He's still banged up. He's dealing with the hand injury, but is it the hand or his mechanics off? What's the explanation here? I don't know what the explanation is, but I would have to think that it has. it's a combination of all of the above. Uh, and, and let's also not forget, he, he's going to the bench as well. You know, this yep. is a guy who started in a playoff run that nearly went to the NBA Finals, and now he's moved to the bench with, with a totally different group than what he was playing with uh, during that run. So I think it's, at this point, probably a combination of the hand injury, um, a confidence situation, uh, a playing with a new group. Honestly, it's actually a lot of the same stuff that's playing into Gordon Hayward. You know, Jalen Brown's not coming back from an injury, but all of the rest of the stuff, that's all playing into it. These guys are playing with a new group. These guys are playing in a new role than they've ever played really in their career. You know, obviously Jalen came off the bench uh, for the majority of his, his first season in the NBA, but that was a while ago. Um, so, you know, it's, it takes an adjustment and, you know, adjusting roles when, when you were one of the main options in a playoff run that nearly went to the NBA finals. I don't think people understand, you know, on the outside about how big of an adjustment that is and trying to figure out how to make an impact on a nightly basis when you aren't playing in that role that you succeeded in at such a high level in the previous season. Uh, so, uh, you know, but Jalen Brown is one of the most intelligent guys I've ever met. And, you know, at his age, uh, to, to be able to say that is, is quite a thing. And so with that being said, I, I expect him to be able to figure this out in the long term. And like you said, it's not like he just suddenly just for, uh, forgot how to shoot or, or lost his ability to shoot. It's going to come back at some point. Uh, as, as Brad Stevens always says, the law of averages you know, always figures itself out. Uh, and my assumption is that the same will happen with Jalen Brown at some point during the season. This guy's not going to be lost the whole way. He's going to figure it out. I, I, I always believe in the NBA that talent always trumps, and we know the talent that Jalen Brown has. We've, we've seen it you know, play itself out in front of our eyes on the, on the brightest of stages. And when you see that and you have that evidence, you can't. I, I personally can't believe that that's just going to disappear. And so far this season, it, it hasn't been there. 
And that's why I think it's going to come back at some point, and hopefully it's sooner rather than later. We'll get right back to Mark, but guys, you remember the days when you were always ready to go? Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up, BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue, BlueChew.com. It brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. So, you know, they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can get ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys with dysfunction, by the way. It's for any guy who wants extra function and to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Who wouldn't want that? Blue Chew is prescribed online, shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy. Best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they are cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com, get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code CLNS. Just pay $5 shipping. That's it. Again, that's blue, B-L-U-E, chew.com, promo code CLNS to try it free. Let's get back to the show. It's been an interesting week for Kyrie. There was the reported altercation, that's probably too strong a word for it, but a, a dispute with Brad Stevens that occurred earlier this year led to much better play from him and the team overall the last month, but more recently, the 40-point game where he, as he put it, acted up in front of family and friends at the Garden the proclamation that he's been more focused on his two-way play, he's in the best condition he's ever been in after uh, we recall the start of the year when uh, Tommy Heinsohn called out his conditioning. What have you seen from his growth just from last year to where he is now? Well, the thing that stands out to me isn't necessarily growth as a player and more so growth as a person. I mean, the, the things that he's saying this year are totally different than what he was saying last year. Last year, it, well, you know he was in the movie Uncle Drew, mm -hmm. right? Well, I feel like he was kind of <laughs> like everybody knows role. he was in Uncle Drew. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I feel like he was kind of prepping for that role um, with the way that he was speaking to the media for the whole last season. I feel like he was acting a little bit. He was saying the right things that you know that he felt he needed to say um, to kind of you know be in the right light here in Boston. And this season, I think he's really being himself, um, and I think he's found himself a little bit. He's I was talking about this recently to uh, to an NBA scout. You know, he he's he's not. Last year, you would have never heard him say, "Like I don't care about scoring. I don't care about all stars. I care about winning." He, you never would have heard him say that. He's saying those things now. He's he's just in a different place, I think, mentally. Uh, he's he's so comfortable in his own skin. He's comfortable in, you know, trying to build a legacy of winning and not necessarily, uh, you know, being a top-flight scorer who made 10 to 12 all-star games in his career. He's fine with not having that other stuff if he can get the thing that he's really searching for, and that's to get back to the top of the NBA where he was a few years ago with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, so I, I just I think that's the biggest difference for me in just listening to him talk on a day-to-day -day basis he, he seems so comfortable in his own skin. He's not acting. He's not saying what people want to hear. He's saying what he truly believes. And um, what he truly believes this season is, is really interesting to me for a top-flight player like him. How many times do you hear you know, a perennial all-star player say, I don't care about how many points I score or how many all-star teams I make. 
I care about it. He literally said those things don't matter. I mean, yeah, it's a look, it's a it's a different Yeah, it's a different tune than obviously James Harden after the Houston game saying, "Yeah, I belong in the MVP conversation." Yeah, like why wouldn't exactly. I be? You know, it's so yeah, it's it's a different approach to things and and that's good. One thing I care about though is Irving getting to the free throw line because he's mm-hmm. at a career low Three a game, you know, three and change anyway. And I know we were kind of spoiled by Isaiah Thomas in that regard. He would just get to the line at will. But deserving have to be more aggressive. Not that he doesn't go to the hoop. He does. He just doesn't tend to draw contact when he's when he's inside. Do we need to see more of that? Yeah, you know, it's funny because before the Rockets game, I was talking to some people and I said, these two players are the same in the fact that they can score in bulk, but they're so different in the way they score. You know, James James Harden creates contact. Kyrie Irving creates space. Right. You know, that, that that's the difference between them. Ky- Kyrie Irving is not trying to draw body contact to get to the line. He's trying to create just enough space to get his shot off cleanly and make it. And obviously, as you can look at his, his shooting splits this season, they're, they're pretty impressive, especially considering how much he struggled during the first six, seven games of the year. He you discount those first six games, he's having a career year as a shooter, which is impressive for a guy who's been, you know, one of the top shooters in the league since he came in. Uh, but I don't know if I would ask him to kind of shift the way that he scores. Uh, I think he, he's always been a guy who creates space for himself, and that's how he gets into a rhythm and makes shots. What I think is that other guys on the team, Marcus Morris, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum in particular. I feel like Jason Tatum can attempt six to seven free throws per game if he really sets his mind to it. Uh, you know, we've heard a lot of talk this season about you know him taking the mid-range jumpers and the fadeaways and the turnarounds. I think if he drives to the basket, he can take six to seven free throws per game, and that'll kind of alleviate a little bit of what we're talking about here with Kyrie Irving. But Again, I reiterate, you know, Kyrie Irving is a guy who creates space. He's been doing that for the majority of his career. And when you're shooting nearly uh, 50-40, um, I'm not going to really ask him to do a whole lot different. I don't think that's a selfish problem. Uh, I think the the problem for them is that they need to figure out what's going on with Hayward, Rozier, and Brown. And once those guys figure it out, they're going to be back to being a top-flight team. Well, definitely relevant to those other guys and a giant concern as things stand right now is this team's in real dire straits offensively when Kyrie's on the bench, like double mm-hmm. digits dire. So how does Brad Stevens solve that problem? I don't think there's a magic pill that he can take or that the team can take. <laughs> I, 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 honestly, nice as I that would be. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I'd, I'd sell it to him right now if, if that existed. But, no, it's just a matter of getting the guys back on track. And, and I don't know necessarily how to do that. If I did, I think maybe I'd be sitting on that bench every night. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, I think this is – got to take a long-term approach. You know, it, it doesn't matter where the Celtics are at the end of December. It matters where the Celtics are at the end of April, May, and June. Um, and it's going to take time for these guys to not only figure out their roles, um, but also, you know, for a guy like Hayward in particular to be able to get back to being 100% healthy and confident in himself. Um, so, you know, I, I know it's not a great answer to your question, but I, I don't know exactly what needs to be done or what Brad Stevens can do. Um, but it's going to take time for these guys to get back to who we've seen them be in the past as recently uh, as May of this year.
So it, it is wild coming into the year because it, all the talk and look, the fans, many in the media, most in the media, and the players themselves, and they've acknowledged it, bought into the hype. It was, C's have five all-stars. Look at that starting lineup. They've got one, I mean, maybe yeah. maybe two, if Marcus Morris were to be considered, and I, I doubt it, quite frankly, as good as he's been. Brad Stevens is as level-headed, as even keel, as any human that you will meet, I think, who walks this earth. But does he seem frustrated or taken aback by all the inconsistency and underperformances so far? No, never. You you will never see. You know, he he might say uh, something to his wife when he goes home at night, uh, but you're never ever going to see that man frustrated uh, on you know on a consistent basis. He might see him you know put his head down or. or Ask a ask a question to a player like what kind of shot was that in the middle of the game, but you're never going to see him carry frustration on a long term basis or on a day to day basis. It's it's just not who he is. He's inherently a positive person. Um, he, you're just never going to see that. I mean, I, he's the same guy every single day, and I think the the reason behind that is kind of what I alluded to earlier that this isn't a where are you at the end of December thing? And he knows that. Uh, there's plenty of time for the Celtics to get things together. And, uh, you know, they've won 10 out of their last 14 games, so it's it's not like they're at the bottom of the barrel in the East, you know. So I, I think that he understands that he's seen this team play at a high level. He knows what they're, what they're capable of. And that um, in his eyes, I think if you would ask him, there's a high probability of them being the team that they want to be come the end of the regular season. Well, to that end, I think most people still believe the Celts will be there at the end and could still overtake the Raptors in the postseason to face the Warriors for a championship and all the different things that we've been talking about going back for months. But at what point does that feel like a pipe dream for this year? Because we are halfway through the year almost. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of strange that I don't, I don't know if there is an answer to that, and it, it, the answer to that might be when the season's over. <laughs> uh, be, because, you know, e- even if the Celtics go into a playoff series and they go down 0-2 or something like that, I think all of us are still going to look at, it, at the Celtics and say, man, they still got the talent that they can dig this, dig themselves out of this hole. Sure. Um, that's personally how I feel. Like, I, I feel like it, the, the time when we realize that the Celtics just couldn't get it together might be when the season is over. Um, I just, I just don't know if there's a situation where we're all going to say like, okay, it's just not happening. Um, and the reason behind that is because we have the evidence of who these players and this team can be. And if we didn't have that evidence, I think it would be a different story. Even, even last year, right? Like Gordon Hayward goes down first night of the season. I think everyone in their right minds probably said, okay, the Celtics don't have a shot of getting out of the Eastern Conference. When they lost Kyrie Irving, okay, the Celtics definitely don't have a shot of getting out of the Eastern (laughs) Conference because you didn't have any evidence of Jason Tatum. You didn't have any evidence of Jalen Brown. You didn't have any evidence of Terry Rozier stepping up and and being key players in the postseason. Now we have that evidence. So it's really hard, I think, for all of us to kind of throw the Celtics in the bucket at any point and say, all right, their, their season's done. There's no way they're going to get to where we want them to be. Um, so that, that's how I feel. I feel like, you know, it's, it's going to come down to the end of the season if they don't figure it out uh, before then. You know, if they don't figure it out in February, March, April, 
I think it is going to be a thing where, you know, the Celtics are in the postseason and they might be playing a much better team. And everyone, you know, thinks that, hey, this team still has the talent that can beat them. It's just one of those teams. Mark, we'll wrap with this. Something that can't be overlooked. We've seen it multiple times already this year in the games that he has been out. The team is desperately missing Aaron Baines. Defensively, inside, impacting the glass. I know he's not a guy that always racks up the rebounds, but clearly his positioning, his his presence impacts the rebounding. The physical play, rotations are different. He's a difference maker, and this is a guy they we know he's going to miss a month or so, but they need him back as soon as possible. Yeah, no, I think the word that you use there, presence, that, that's the thing. Uh, and it's not only just the presence on the glass, the presence around the basket from a defensive standpoint. It's the presence behind his teammates. Right? Like they, they know he's going to be there. They know that he's reliable. They know that he's going to be in the exact place where he's supposed to be on every defensive and offensive possession. And that, that makes other players around him more comfortable. Um, so, you know, I, I do think that he is a very important piece to this puzzle. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I know nothing um, from at least from a front office standpoint or from an injury standpoint. I haven't been told anything, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's back a little bit earlier than uh, than we originally expected. Um, and that, I only say that because, I've, I, you know, I've seen him. You know, he's riding. Jay King tweeted about it before the Rockets game. Aaron Baines was riding a bike out in the hallway um, and he was really going after it on that bike. Hmm. That's not the thing that stands out to me. The thing that stands out to me is that he had that left hand wrapped around the handlebars of that bike. Hmm. And, you know, at this point, you know, he's not too far removed from that surgery. When he's already grabbing around the handlebars of a bike, that tells me that he's in a pretty good place. Uh, and the, uh, the wrap and the padding that he's wearing around that hand is kind of getting less and less. Uh, so I feel like he might be ahead of schedule. Don't quote me on that. I don't know. Excuse me, I don't know for sure that he's going to be back early, uh, but it looks like he's progressing really well, so we might see him sometime soon. Should I bother asking you if Danny Ainge has any, uh, you know, trade permutations with Anthony Davis written on the whiteboard in the office, or should we just leave that alone? Uh, I would leave that alone. (laughs) Mark D'Amico, Celtics uh, team reporter as well as analyst, and uh, great to finally have you on the show. Let's definitely do it again before the season's out. All right, Adam, I appreciate it. Great stuff from Mark. Had to at least get some mention of Anthony Davis into that conversation. I know that that's not an area he probably is even allowed to touch, and quite frankly, it's a little stale. We did a lot of it with Gary Washburn last week and what it would take and whether it's realistic, the chances, the percentage odds of Davis landing in Boston. So if you're curious, I encourage go back, listen to that show, because there's a lot of still incredibly relevant information in that episode as well as this one. It's not, we're, we're big picture here on Celtics Beat. It's not always about a specific game. It's things that relate to the team on the whole, the league, other teams, the competition, possible trades, free agency, contracts, what individual players are doing, what they're trending toward. So uh, again, every episode, you people are still going back and listening to the Bob Ryan episode from weeks ago. And it's Bob Ryan, so why wouldn't you? you could listen to him talk basketball for hours on end. But it just goes to show, no show is is too quickly out of date. That in mind, let's get a few Twitter questions in from Jordan. We tackled this a lot with uh, Mark just now, but what's the future of Hayward? Will he ever return to his true form, and would Danny consider moving him? Well, first off, I think the closest thing that Ainge has on this team to an untouchable or closest person would be Jason Tatum, a guy that I have said I would not give up in an Anthony Davis trade. 
Second to him, next is Kyrie Irving. And look, I, I know the relationship between Brad Stevens and Gordon Hayward and uh, an incredibly tough decision on Gordon's part to leave the familiarity and comfort and success in Utah to come to Boston to take a chance on the Celtics, to team with Kyrie Irving, to play for his old college coach, to come to this organization, to come to the Eastern Conference, the perceived easier route to the NBA Finals, all these different things. He absolutely, speaking just from my opinion, I, I haven't asked Danny about it, absolutely would be involved or would be considered for a trade. No question. Gordon Hayward would be on the move if there was a better piece or more logical piece coming back the other way, especially if he doesn't return to form, given that contract, the max contract, the $30 million a year, and that he's not himself right now. And as Mark talked about, will he return to form? I believe he will. Will it be this year? Come playoff time? I sure as hell hope so. But I'm not overly confident about it. I never was. I didn't think he was going to average 18 points this year, which, by the way, would still be worse than I think what most people expect him to do in Boston coming off of those last couple of years in Utah and the playoff run that he had with the Jazz in that final season a couple of years ago. People want him at 20-plus. They want Kyrie at 20-plus. They want Tatum at 20-plus. People want the Celtics to average 120 points a game and everybody's scoring left and right. Not realistic. But Hayward can't be a guy, and again, he's averaging 10, 11 points right now. He can't be a guy that's averaging... 15 to justify a max contract. He just can't. And I don't think he's going to be that guy. This year, sure, I'm not even sure he'll average 15. But in future seasons, I do think he's going to get closer to where he was. John wants to know, Jason Tatum, is he having a sophomore slump? Offensively, I would say no. I know the, the three-point shooting in particular is not what it was last year. Defense is a little bit concerning. He's taken a step back defensively, absolutely. And, you know, I was never, I talked about this a lot. Go back, review the tape. I was never on the bandwagon of people that thought he was going to average 20-plus points this year with this offense, with all the talent around them. I thought that was insane. Quite frankly, I said I didn't think he was going to average 18. And right now he's at 16 and change, almost 17. I figured he's going to be 15, 16 points per game. I think that's where he's going to wind up, even as that perceived second option, offensive go-to option to Kyrie Irving. Will he be that guy come to the playoffs and, and do what he did last postseason? Hope so. But is he having a sophomore slump? He's, again, short of the defense not being where it should be. I would say he's basically where I thought he was going to be. Again, I thought he'd be shooting a little bit better from three, but he's not wildly off to the point where I'm going to call it a slump or that he's regressed. He just hasn't taken a giant leap forward or much of a step forward at all. He's pretty consistent to where he was his freshman year in the NBA. And and we got half a season to go to see him turn that around and, and improve the D, improve the shooting, and do what he did hopefully in the postseason again come this spring. And from uh, PWR, what do we do about Marcus Morris' free agency? Wave goodbye. If you're really nice, drive him to the airport to wherever he's going. I love Marcus Morris. I'd love him. I would love him to come back. It's not going to happen. He's going to get a better offer elsewhere. I uh, talked about that with Sean Devaney a couple weeks back. He's going to get that four for sixty potentially, four for fifty even. He's not going to get it from Boston, not with all the mouths to feed already here. And, and there are limits. Yeah, you can pay into the tax for your own guys and, and you can rack up that money, but you're only going to do that to a certain point and for certain guys. You'll do it to re-up Al Horford probably, depending on his health, and more years, lower AAV, average annual value. Maybe, just maybe, and highly unlikely, Terry Rozier enters into that conversation. Again, there's like a 2% chance of that unless they're willing to trade Marcus Smart. 
Marcus Morris, while, again, love to have him back. Start him, put him on the bench, whatever. Guy's been a microwave this year. He's not going to be back. So, again, you wave goodbye. With that, we're going to wave goodbye as well. Once again, today's show brought to you by Blue Chew. Visit BlueChew.com. Get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code CLNS. Just pay $5 shipping. Thanks again to Mark, my producer, Evan Valenti, to Nick, to Larry, to John, everybody at CLNS Media who make all of this possible. You should subscribe not only to the CLNS YouTube page for a whole bunch of great audio content, but obviously to the Celtic Speed podcast specifically. Do it on iTunes. You can listen on Stitcher. I tweet out the links. Get me on Twitter. We'll always engage in seize debates at Adam M. Kaufman. And you guys make a difference. You really do. So leave us a rating, five stars, leave us a review, whatever. We appreciate knowing that you're out there. The downloads show it. We know how many people are listening, but it's always good to know, to interact, and to experience, uh, you know, what you're experiencing listening to the show. You provide a lot of great questions. We thank you for submitting those as well. Sorry we couldn't get to all of them, but hopefully in the new year. And I I can't believe this is the end, basically. This is the end of December 2019. That'll be our next show. It is on the way very soon, and hopefully a whole lot more Gino in the new year than we've been experiencing here late in 2018 as well happy new year be safe be healthy have fun talk to you again soon here on Celtics Beat. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcasts or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.